Acts 2, 22-36. Hear the word of the Lord. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out that this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I was sitting at a dinner party, and next to me was a man who had grown up in the church and had been in the church longer than I've been alive. And we were talking about the Christian faith, and I asked him, just about what would be a a summary of the Christian faith, because he had been in the church for most of his life, all of his life, I think, and was very devoted to his faith. And he gave me this summary of the Christian faith. He said, I could summarize, summarize it this way. It is the Ten Commandments. And uh, we began to talk about that, and I, I began to talk about Scripture and suggested that the summary of the Christian faith was something else. And he said, well, that's your interpretation. And I certainly don't want to be working with my interpretation. I certainly don't want to be preaching my interpretation of the Christian faith. Um, So, uh, I think you would probably agree with me that a good procedure to kind of settle this matter, what is the Christian faith, would be to go to the very first ones who lived with Jesus, who uh, heard Him speak, who saw Him, who knew Him, who were there during three years of His ministry, and see what they say in the very first opportunity they have to... Uh, to speak about what the Christian faith is, let's listen to them. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, I I heard another man when asked about, well, what did the preacher say in his sermon? His uh, summary was this. Well, the preacher said what preachers always say in sermons. Do good and don't do bad. 
Okay, so one summary of the Christian faith is the Ten Commandments, and another summary of all preachers is do good and don't do bad. Well, let's hear the original preachers. Let's hear the original preachers and see what they said about the Christian faith and what their message was. Okay, does that sound like a fair a fair way of going about trying to figure out what the Christian faith is about? Yeah. Listening to the, the original disciples, the original followers of Christ. And the good thing is we have their words recorded. Uh, we have here what we could call, could call the very first Christian sermon. Uh, this is the first sermon that one of Jesus' followers preached right after Jesus was taken off the scene. So Jesus has gone on, and now Peter gets an opportunity to preach, and this is what he says. So let's try to discern the main elements. If you, let's start with verse 22. And here, by the way, Peter is preaching to the, the Jewish people of Jerusalem, including the, the, the leaders of the people. And he says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So here he's appealing to public knowledge, nothing that was done in a corner. He says, you know that this Jesus that God did through him mighty works. So this is the first point. He makes a point about Jesus' life. That Jesus' life was characterized by mighty works that were from God. And if we go back to what are called the Gospels, in the New Testament it begins with four books, and these are called the Gospels. We'll talk about that word in a second. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you read these Gospels, these accounts of the life of Jesus, you will find in his remarkable life that he did things like this. He healed people. He released people from demonic oppression. He fed people in, a, in a, an abundant way, beginning with very little food. He transformed water into wine. He touched leprous people and healed them. He spent time with uh, sinful people, kind of the, the outcasts of society. He forgave their sins. He actually raised some from the dead. He exercised authority over natural elements like wind and sea and waves. And um, he did this, as we read the gospel accounts, not to draw attention to himself as kind of a miracle worker, as a wonder worker, but rather he was using all of these mighty works that God was giving him to do uh, by his own account to point people to who he was, to his identity. So that's the first point. The first point is the remarkable divine life of Jesus characterized by mighty works. And then, verse 23, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Once again, if we read the accounts of Jesus' life, his history, we find that he stirred up a lot of enthusiasm among the people, but he also stirred up envy among the religious leaders. And so, out of their envy, they needed to stop him, and also fear. They were afraid that if a popular religious uprising took place, they were afraid of what their overlords, the Romans, would come and do. So, because of envy and because of fear, the Jewish leaders got together and they were able to pay off one of Jesus' disciples in order to betray him. And he betrayed him into the hands of the Jewish leaders who tried him in something of a sham trial and they condemned him to death. But they had a problem. And that was they were no longer a sovereign nation. 
they could not execute Jesus because they had, they had no authority to do so. So they had to enlist the Roman authority, and here's where a man named the governor Pontius Pilate comes in. So they enlisted Pontius Pilate, who really was a uh, something of an unwilling participant, but they they threatened and they sort of blackmailed him uh, in order to participate in the crucifixion of Jesus. And that's what it says. It says, uh, Peter says, you, uh, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. He's referring to the Romans. But I want you to see something interesting, really fascinating here. Verse 23, it says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So we see here, we see here God's plan and we see human responsibility participating. The humans did it out of envy. They did it out of fear. They did it out of cowardice. They did it out of hatred or whatever reasons that were sufficient to them. But in the final analysis, whose plan was this? It says it was God's plan that he was delivered up because of all these things, the envy, the fear, the hatred, whatever it might have been, but he was also delivered up because this was God's plan that he had planned since, uh, since forever. So that's the second point. So the first point is this, the, the divine life of Jesus. The second point is the crucifixion of Jesus uh, that was according to God's plan. And then verse 24 says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So what's the third point? You killed him, but God raised him. Okay, three points. The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and then the resurrection of Jesus, that God raised him up. And it says it was impossible for death to hold him. And then if you go down to verse 32, it says, This Jesus God raised up. Uh, of that we are all witnesses. Once again, appealing to a, a public, uh, a public event that was known and seen by many. And then in the middle here, after verse 24, he says in verse 25, for David says, and this is King David of Old Testament times, and he's preaching to whom? He's preaching to Jews, and so it makes sense for him to appeal to the Jewish writings of the Old Testament. And his, his argument is very interesting. David says, you won't let my soul uh, be abandoned to Hades. You won't let your Holy One see corruption. And Peter's argument goes like this. He says, David said, you won't let your Holy One see decay. And then Peter says, but we know where David's tomb is, don't we? And guess what happened to his body? It decayed. So he obviously wasn't talking about himself, was he? He was talking about someone who would come after him. And so Peter makes the, he connects the dots here. He says he was talking about another one who would be descended from David, one of David's descendants, and that is Jesus, that he did not see corruption, he did not see decay. So that's the third point. And then the, the fourth point, well, let's go down to verse 33. And it says, "...being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing." So the fourth point is that He ascended to the right hand of God. And once again, His argument is the same. He quotes from David, one of the Psalms, and uh, He says, "...we know David's tomb is here. We know his body did not rise to the right hand of God." And so once again, David was not referring to himself... He was referring to one who would be descended from him. Okay, this is the summary. First Christian preachment. First Christian message. Four points. They are, what's the first one? 
The life, okay, the divine life of Jesus. The second one? The crucifixion. You killed Him, but it was God's plan. The third point? The resurrection. And the fourth point? The ascended into heaven. Okay, now, that's the first one. And the conclusion is, the conclusion is in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord, Master, and Christ, the Anointed One, this Jesus whom you crucified. So that, yes, hallelujah. That's the first Christian message, and here's the conclusion. But let's try to corroborate this. Let's try to corroborate this uh, quickly with other Christian messages. And that's, uh, that's what we have in the book of Acts. And so what we're going to do, we're not going to read all of these in length like we did this one, but we're going to go through and try to figure out what points are essential points to summarize the Christian message. You may follow along if you want. I'll give you the references, or you can just listen. Uh, in chapter 3, we have another sermon by Peter. And we'll, it goes from 11 to 26, but we'll look especially at verse 15. And this was cutting right to the chase. It says, And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So this is a two-point two point summary here. What are the two points? Right. You, you killed him? And God raised him. Okay. And then chapter 4, verses 8 uh, to 12, but let's look particularly at verse, let's say verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So, once again, what's the summary? He says, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Then if we go to chapter 10, uh, verses 34 to 43, but we'll look particularly at verse 38 and following. It says, uh, this is on page 1018. It says, um, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Now, there are three points here, the divine life, the death, and the resurrection. And then in verse th- chapter 13, this is page 1021, chapter 13, Looking at particularly verse 28, it says, And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Then in verse uh, chapter 17, this is on page 1025, Chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. And now this is Paul preaching. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And now one more. Uh, Chapter 26. It's on page 1036. Chapter 26, verses 22 and 23. To this day... 
I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. There's a similarity in all of these preachings, isn't there? Right? The same points are covered. Um, at least two points are always included. Some other points are, are there sometimes, but the two points that are always there are which? He died, and was he died and was resurrected. Exactly. This is the message. You killed him or they killed him, but God raised him. They announced, they announced events that had taken place. That's why the Christian message is called gospel. Gospel means good news. Now what is news? News is a report about something that happened. And what that, what that means is, um, it tells us what our response should be. What can we do with news? We can do, I think, one of four things with news. A report about something that has happened. We can believe it. We can disbelieve it. We can wait and investigate more. I do that a lot of times when I hear something that sounds outrageous that's going around the Internet. I say, wait a minute, I'm going to investigate that more to see if this is really true. Uh, and um, the fourth is we can ignore it. I, I think those are the four things we can do with news. We can believe it, we can disbelieve it, we can investigate it more, or we could simply ignore it. But one thing we cannot do with news is obey it or disobey it. That's a confusion of categories. You can't obey news or disobey news. You can obey a commandment and you can disobey a commandment, but you can't obey news or disobey news. It's to believe or not to believe. If I give you, if I give you a piece of news, let's say that, um, anything, um, that, uh, they, the Congress approved a, a new appointment, uh, for such and such a cabinet post. Well, you can't say, no, I'm not going to do that. Do what? I didn't tell you to do anything, right? I just told you something that purportedly happened. So you can believe it, you can check it out, you can disbelieve it. Uh, the Russians annexed Crimea. You can believe it, you can disbelieve it, you can check it out to make sure it's true. Uh, but you can't obey it or disobey it, can you? There's nothing to obey or disobey. But then if I give you a commandment, if I tell you something to do or not to do, it's not a question of believing it or disbelieving. It's a question of what? Obeying it or disobeying it. If I say, oh, would you, you please uh, turn the, the air conditioning uh, colder? You can say, well, I don't believe that. That would be a confusion, wouldn't it? Or, you know, please close the door. Uh, I believe you. What? Uh, it's a confusion of categories. So commandments are to obey or disobey. News is to believe or disbelieve if it happens to be false. And the Christian message is summed up as a what? As news. So what's that indicate? What's the response? The response is to believe it. Believe it. You see, um, somebody might say then, if the Christian message is not a commandment or a set of commandments, but is news, then what about all these commandments in Scripture? Do we just throw these away? What's, what's the point of all these commandments? What's the point of the Ten Commandments? 
uh, as, um, as a summary of, of the law. What's the point of that if the Christian message is not a new set of commandments? Well, the, the point of the commandments is that they prepare us for the news. We wouldn't be in a position to accept the news if we didn't have the commandments. Because this is what commandments do. And this is what the Ten Commandments do. The Ten Commandments tell us how to live. And then they condemn us if we don't live that way. You see, commandments aren't in the business of having mercy. Law is not in the business of having mercy. Law is in the business of telling us what we should do, what we shouldn't do, and then condemning us if we don't live up to it. That's what law does. That's what commandment does. And so the Ten Commandments come along and they tell us how to live and how not to live. And it's, of course, excellent. It's divine. It's God's will for us. But there's a problem, isn't there? We can't do it. You see, that's the problem with the commandments. And when I meet people, as I have in my life, who tell me with a straight face that they have kept the Ten Commandments, then I'm not sure what to uh, conclude from that. Either they haven't read them, or they don't know themselves very well, or uh, perhaps they've read them but in a light way and they haven't, they haven't seen how Jesus interpreted those commandments by saying that they not only refer to, to the outward act, but they refer to words and attitudes and thoughts. And so what do the commandments do? The commandments are like one of those magnifying mirrors that are frightening in the morning, right? We look in one of those magnifying mirrors and it, it's sometimes rather shocking. Are those mirrors lying to us? No. What are they doing? They're showing us what we're really like. Now, what the commandments are not are ladders. Ladders and mirrors are two different things. If you said, hey, I need to get up to my second story, and I brought you a mirror, what would you think? You say, no, yeah, you didn't hear me. You don't understand what's happening here. But that's what the commandments do. And you see, uh, Christianity, if it is simply a piling on of more commandments to people who weren't able to keep the first ones in the first place, then Christianity is not good news. Christianity is, in fact, another burden on top of burdens that we were unable to keep in the first place. So what do the commandments do for us? They are our friends because they show us how we are. They show us that we have fallen short and therefore the, com- the, the good news makes sense. If, if I were to say to you, Christ died for sins and you thought that you were without sin, does the message about Christ have anything to do with you? No. Nothing whatsoever. It's not good news to you. But if I first come and say, uh, this is the definition of what we're supposed to do in life, and this is the definition of sin, falling short of these perfect commandments, and the good news is that Christ died for those who haven't kept these commandments, now does it have something to do with you? Absolutely. So the commandments prepare the way for us to receive the good news. The commandments show us why Christ came, why He lived, why He died, why He rose, why He ascended. Without the commandments, we would not understand the work of Christ. We would not understand His perfect life. Now, the commandment says, humanity, you must obey perfectly. Christ As the Son of God, as a human, what did He do? He obeyed perfectly. So He 
He fulfilled what the, what the commandments require. The, the commandments say this, humanity, if you do not keep this law perfectly, you must die. And what did Christ do? Even though He kept the law perfectly, He died in the place of sinners, taking that penalty that we deserve. And the commandment comes and says, if you don't keep the commandments, you will, you will die, and you will die eternally. And then Christ, what did He do? He rose from the dead as humanity, as a human, conquering over death for us. And so He was able to ascend, and in Him, through faith, through belief, we are able to have our sins forgiven. We're able to have a perfect record of completing the commandments before Him, because Christ did that for us, and we are able to conquer over death when our day comes and live forever. Yes, thank you, Jesus, because He has done that all for us. Now, would that make any sense without the commandments? No, we wouldn't see the need. It would not be good news, but in light of the commandments, we understand. Now, let's go back to the summary of the Christian message. If the Christian message were simply, keep the Ten Commandments... I, for one, would be not at all interested in being a Christian. I would, I would, I would find no uh, compelling reason to be a Christian if the message were, keep the Ten Commandments. Because that would not do me any good. And all it would do would be beat me down because I wouldn't be able to do it. And if, like that one man I heard about, uh, if he were accurate in saying that all preachers say the same thing, do good and don't do bad. The last job in the world that I would want to have, personally, would be to be a preacher. <laughs> I would not want to have that job, to go around telling everybody, do good and don't do bad. However, if the Christian message is, Jesus lived a perfect life for us, Jesus died for our sins in our place, Jesus rose and conquered death for us, and Jesus is at God's right hand in favor of us, then that's a message that is exactly what I need. And that's what I discovered, thanks be to God, some decades ago. And if the preacher's job is to tell other people about this, then folks, I have the best job in the world. Now, it's in our lap. I hope we have heard good news today. Have we heard good news today? Amen. Well, it's in our lap now. How are we to respond? Well, I hope and pray that we will respond by believing this good news. But by, by believing in Christ, all of what He did becomes ours. My hope and prayer is that you believe it, because this is the best news you will ever hear. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for giving us the commandments. Because without the commandments, we would think we're fine. Thank You very much. But the commandments come and show us where we fall short. They hold that mirror of Your perfection up to us and show us how we have not fulfilled what You have told us to do. And that prepares us for this best of good news. We thank You, O God, that Christ came and lived the perfect life, died the sacrificial death as our substitute, rose again by Your power from the dead, and sits at Your right hand, giving life to all who will believe in Him. And I pray for all in the hearing of the Gospel today, in this church or whatever church it might be, that You would give faith 
that we all might believe this good news and so receive the eternal life that you have for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.